And welcome back to Casting Nuts Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm joined here with a co-host, Pastor Dave Rudot. Hello. And uh, we are both struggling this week. We are struggling this week because we've had uh, multiple issues that have come up with family, friends, and work um, just in different ways. He's struggling with his own internal angst. I'm struggling with my external angst, namely my son. And um, and so together we are going to try to cobble a podcast together and and give it to you for your consumption. But the podcast is dealing with real life living faith. And so how is it that we are able to walk through all of these challenges in life and still have a smile on our face to praise our Lord? That's right, because we have Jesus who is the bread of life. And speaking of bread, you know why bread is so much like the sun? Because it rises in the yeast and sets in the waste. And there you have it. So we are on the road to recovery uh, with a couple of wonderful dad jokes. I'm sure you'll probably hear more than one coming out of the the broadcast today. And that's all right. Um, we all need challenge good, accepted. Challenge accepted. We need a good dad joke because we're living, you know, in a world where they want to get rid of dads. So um, we need to have some good dad jokes and rejoice in the fact that we are that dads are serve as a good function in society. Yes, I, I thought about that today. I said, uh, I wrote a text to my wife and, and told her, because I'm, like I said, having some issues with my son, and I said, you know, I just wrote her a text and said, when we before we had children, they all said, have children. It's wonderful. It's great. You'll enjoy every moment of it. And I said, uh, I need to go back to those people and um, string them up. <laughs> But yeah, it is the every vocation that a person has, whether they are an employer, employee, or parent, or child, has a cross to bear with it, and that's actually one part of our 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 topic for today. But before we get to that topic, we have to have a disclaimer, and the disclaimer is this is a conversation between two pastors, and so we are welcoming you in, and we're having a conversation. So what we say may not be where we come to, or we're allowing ourselves to change our mind, we're allowing ourselves to grow. And we are encouraging you to grow as well. But in that growth, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes there's something that we say that offends or it hits you the wrong way because we're just uh, sharing with you our hearts and our minds and what's going on about our real life and living faith. So if that is the case, if something hurts, uh, if offends, reach out to us, uh, contact us, castingnetspod at gmail.com. We are, after all, sinners needing Christ who is the bread of life. But uh, we are also open to correction and open to uh, clarify why we said what we said. So email castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can talk to us in person at St. John and Maribel and at Emmanuel Lutheran in Shirley. You can um, t- reach out to us on the Facebook page as well. But either way, uh, this is meant to be the beginning of a conversation and not the end. And so let's keep this conversation going as we talk about real life and living faith. The topic for today is talking about heresy, which is not something that you uh, uh, say when you look at your wife as she comes out of the shower, here I see, um, but no, you want to, these are um, false doctrines that have spread up in the church in the past, but the devil seems to be not a very creative person, that he comes up with an idea and then rehashes it, rehashes it. And the reason why he rehashes it, one, he's not creative, and, and the other is that it works. It's something that leads people away from Christ, who is the bread of life, and leads them to themselves or uh, away from God in particular. Well, and I think that's that's one of the points. I know when we, we kind of tossed around what we wanted to do and, and where we were going to go in the summer, we kind of didn't want to get into anything that's going to be heavy lifting and, and something that was going to strain their brain because, you know, it's the summer and the heat already does that. Um, but we, you know, our, our whole entire focus of the podcast is real life and, and, and it deals with how do we live our faith in it. 
argument. And and the problem with these heresies was strictly that people were looking at life. And and as they looked at life and as they looked at um uh, what was going on around them and what uh, what the scriptures were saying as they were different than what they were perceiving people were trying to figure it out and and they were trying to find a balance and say how can i rectify what god is saying to me in the scriptures and what he is revealing to me in his word and what i'm seeing in the world around me and and unfortunately um when you try to take what you see in the world and you try to mash it up against what God says in the scriptures and say, well, there shouldn't be a difference, you're going to find that there's a problem. Um, and, and that's where these heresies come from, is that is that they don't take God at his word. They don't take God in, in the way that he presents himself and how he wants to present himself. And, and then they try to meld what I see in the world and what my brain can come up with. And so you you get these you get these things and and and, it, and unfortunately the heresies started immediately. It, it wasn't as if it wasn't as if well there's Jesus on the scene and and he's leading his people and he is uh, uh, training the disciples and then all of a sudden you have this hiatus right Jesus ascends um, and the disciples go out and everything is great because you've got twelve people who know well eleven people and then they add one um, who know what they're talking about. Unfortunately. You have um, a, a lot of of issues that crop up almost immediately within the church. Um, one of the first ones that that is on the list of of things, probably the easiest one for us to talk about, because um, I, I think you have three on the list, uh, two on the list that are are um, ones that the early church dealt with specifically, where we know them and, and we know them almost by name. Um, and the first one is that of the Judaizers, right? So so let's jump on in and, and we're going to go through the heresies that we have in the church and, and how they're still felt today in the Lutheran church, in our in our walk of faith. And let's start with the Judaizers. So take us through who are they, what are they, what did they do? Uh, well, uh, dear listener, if you're looking for the Judaizers and you want to say, tell me more about this, the book of Acts might be a good place to start because you see Paul. The whole and, book. The whole... <laughs> <laughs> That's not specific enough. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's it's just like one of the longest books of the New Testament, but the whole thing. Yeah, that's no problem. Specifically, as you read through Paul's missionary journey, so that would be what Paul Acts thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, that neighborhood. Is that specific enough for you? But anyway, it's uh, as Paul is going out preaching the good news of Jesus. Then there is a group that follows right behind him. And says, "Hey, Jesus is great, and Jesus is your salvation, but uh, you still got to do something else. You still have to follow the Old Testament law, and mainly the circumcision was the, the personification of all of the Old Testament law. If you want to hear Paul's true opinion of Judaizers, you'd have to go to Galatians because he will uh, correct uh, the Galatian Christians who had fallen to the Judaizers' heresy of you got to do yes." Uh, Jesus died for you, but you also have to do this. And so Galatians has a lot about the freedom that we have in Christ, uh, the freedom to live in the vocation that God has called us in, and a rejection of, well, you got to do this or you got to do that in order for you to truly be saved. Well, you know, and, and one of the things about the Judaizers, which made it, which which really starts to, you, you, you can place yourself into them and say, I get it. Um, is in the sense that they looked at the Old Testament and they said, okay, Jesus is these things, right? This is, we, we believe that, and, and, and I think truly they did. But they also looked back and they said, but God's word stands. And they looked at God's word and God's word, Old Testament, right, especially. Um, they looked at these, they looked at the, the, the laws of the Lord, the, the Mosaic Covenant, and they said, this has to happen. And what they failed to see is completion. I, I think a lot of what their failure was is they they did not hear or see or understand the Lord when he said, I have come to complete, right? I have come to fulfill these things. And then they, they started saying, well, I need to fulfill these things. And this is where the danger would rest, in my opinion, um, when it comes into the Lutheran church and when it comes into the modern faith, is anytime you hear Jesus died for my sins, but you, you start throwing, you start to, now you don't have to say, but you have to be circumcised. Okay. Don't, don't, don't use that one. How about this one? Jesus died for my sins, but you still have to go to church. 
Jesus died for my sins, but you still have to read your Bible. Every read day. your Bible every day. Jesus died for my sins, but I have to be nice. I have to forget. You, you, you start filling in with the word but, and now all those things which are good, don't get me wrong, they are wonderful. They are, they are things that gather and, and are, are, are showing our faith in the world now become the measure about which a, a person is either saved or not. Yes, and, and this whole movement of trying to add to Christ is in Lutheranism, is part of our history called pietism, where it was, they were looking, exactly what Will was saying before, they were looking at, these are the doctrines of the church, and they're looking around at, at the life around them, and they're saying, you know, these guys, these people that are worshiping with me in the pews, they're Christians? Really? I, I see what they're doing Monday to Saturday. I, they have to do something more. They have to the, to be more, their, their piety has to be on a higher level than what what I'm seeing. And again, that's a, just a rehash of the Judaizers, just a rehash of what Jesus did on the cross was not complete. We have to add to it by adding our works, our devotion, our um, allegiance to God by what we do and what we say. Well, and, and the danger starts to compound itself, right, in that regard, because how it compounds itself is you start using yourself as the parameter, uh, in both ways. Mm-hmm. So, so in other words, um, if I think I am doing enough and I'm comfortable in what I'm doing, and I'm going to use that term I'm, in, in every way that I can, that, that you are comfortable in how you are interacting with your Lord, then everybody else must be measured according to that. So if you live like me, if you do what I do, if you act the way I act, if you follow the same course that I follow, then you're okay. But if you disagree with me on one certain thing, or if you don't follow the way that I want it to be, or or you say you're a Christian, but you haven't done what I have done, then there's the problem. But it can also work on the opposite way. You can you can uh, encounter those people who are weak in faith, and, and this is where the problem with the Judaizers came in. They, they encountered those people who are weak in faith. And they're like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm not strong enough in my faith to be able to do that. And so now they're questioning whether or not they, uh, they are in faith at all. They question whether or not Christ died for them at all. They question whether or not um, that they have um, anything that, that the Lord would, would look upon and say, this is good, well done, good and faithful servant. And so you have this this um, continuing pendulum that swings back and forth of who becomes the parameter of of my faith and my Christianity and how do I live? Um, is it the church that says I have to? I have to? I have to? Is it Joe Schmo who's sitting in the pew who looks at me with that 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 look of disgust because my kids are not the well behaved and and you know unfortunately neither were his except for the threat of I will take you out and spank your bottom. Um, um, and and so I mean, there's this this whole gambit of 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 Judaizerness. <laughs> is that a word? Um, it is now. It is now that permeates the church even today because it is it is so a part of our sinful nature to say it's really well and good that God would do this, giving His Son for us, but it can't be free. It can't be. It can't be without strings. It can't be without requirement. It can't be without. And so, what we want is to put a requirement on it. So, God loves you if you know you are uh, you are Jesus' little lamb. God has has forgiven your sins in Christ. But, um, and so we add those qualifiers, and we do it. To, and, and as pastors, maybe the last comment on it before we move on, because I know we have a lot on the list. But, but maybe the pastors do this too, because we want people in the pew. Right, we we want we want to offer them the gift of 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 salvation through the means of grace, word and sacrament. And so, how often does does that become a part of our our when we talk with somebody who's a um, an inactive, a delinquent? Um, um, we would say they comment to us, "Well, I'm a Christian, I believe," and then we come up with, "But you're not." Uh, and then we fill in the blank. Mm-hmm, right. <clears throat> have we portrayed, unintentionally, have we portrayed um, this idea of, well, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not doing that, and that's what a Christian would do. Now, there's truth in the scriptures that a Christian would do those things. Right, but are we the ones that make that determination? 
Right. And instead of encouraging God's people to receive the gifts, because when they come to church, they might say, well, when I come to church, I don't hear you giving me advice on how to live. All you're doing is talking about Jesus. And we go, well, that's the point. Because he we is are. the advice on how you should live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't there a bracelet that says something like that? <laughs> um, he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the, what we need to receive because daily we have a conscience that bothers us. Daily we have a conscience that is wrong. And so we need that correction from God's word. We need a, uh, this healing that comes from God's word that comes ultimately through what Jesus has done. Because God, what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross has freed us from the requirement of the law, freed us to live. As Paul writes in Galatians, he says, Verse 13 of chapter 5, After all, brothers, you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as a starting point for your sinful flesh. Rather, serve one another through love. In fact, the whole law is summed up in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So the idea of we're, we're made complete in Christ to love and serve our neighbor, we are free to um, to, to serve and, and to love our neighbor by, yes, by being in, in worship and encouraging them. That worship isn't just for me, but it is also for the the other person in the pew that I can help and encourage uh, through even something as simple as singing, uh, singing a hymn uh, right behind them so that they would hear somebody else singing the same thing or confessing the same thing, uh, that they, that others would realize they're not the only sinner in the room, uh, that they are filled. And for, for one hour, there's going to be a group of people in a room that are honest with themselves and honest with their God saying, we are sinners needing something. We're needing Jesus. And guess what? We're, we're about to hear it because from a lips of a, a sinner, a lips of a called God's called servant, he's going to announce to us that we are, that our sins are forgiven and that we are complete and full, uh, complete package because we have Christ. And, and, and that's, and that, that right there is the need. And, and that's what makes the whole idea of Judaizers so um, hard for us to shake because faith will produce that desire. And when we don't see that desire, our first reaction is to say, you need to see it because that's what faith would produce. And so we question, are you in faith? Because you didn't do. And it comes off as that. But, you know, that leads us, I think, into this other, uh, one of the other heresies that was uh, a part of the church um, uh, as it was starting to to grow and expand itself um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is this idea of the theology of glory, which I think flows from this mindset of Judaizers, right? Um, if we have done, if we are, if we have completed what God has asked of us, then life should be great. Great and glorious. Yeah. And the, the theology of the cross is uh, difficult because, and the theology of glory and it's difficult because when you ask a Christian, what does a cross mean to them? What are they going to say? Perhaps they said, this cross represents the great love that God has for me in sending his son. Perhaps they'll say, it represents that my forgiveness comes from Jesus dying on the cross. Perhaps they said, well, this represents my salvation. Or maybe they won't say any of those things. Maybe they can't even verbalize why the cross is so important for them. And then when you contrast that with the theology of glory, and, and as pastors, we throw those theological terms out, there's a lot of material that likes to use the straw man argument that says this here over here is the theology of the cross. Uh, this is the theology of glory. And, and we're of the theology of the cross. I was reading a, I was even reading some, uh, a document that, that uh, defended non-biblical feminism as this is the theology of the cross because women suffered just like Jesus suffered on the cross. And so there's just, <laughs> there's well, a and that, confusion. And, yeah. and, and that confusion of the, I mean, we, we brought two terms in. Um, and, and first is that theology of the cross, which, which um, um, really is, bears with it the idea of suffering for. And sometimes I think in life we confuse it that, okay, I have, I have cancer. I have a loved one who has cancer. I got sick. I had COVID, whatever the case may be. I'm suffering for, I'm suffering financial, um, problems because I don't have as much money as I want, um, or I can't go on vacation when I want to. And so we say, well, that must be my cross suffering. That's the cross, you know, where the Lord says, take up your cross and follow me. Um, and, and so we're like, those are the crosses that I have to bear. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is saying it's the crosses of suffering for him. Are you suffering because you've stood up and said, this is what I believe in whom, in, in whom I believe? And they've said, how dare you confess this person? How dare you confess Jesus and that he is the only way? And when you suffer for that, you lose your job and now you're in financial straits because you said this was right and I'm standing up for it. I'll give it to you. Um, but that's different from this idea of the of the theology of glory, which has permeated our thinking in the United States, which is um, very simply, if I do, then I should receive. That that's really in its its boiling down crux, the theology of glory. I have dedicated, and this is how the reformed churches will speak. I have dedicated my life to Jesus, therefore Jesus owes me one. And and, and, and yeah. they wouldn't maybe say owes me one, but Jesus should give or will give. Yeah. At the core of theology of the cross and the theology of glory is where do we find God? Where do we find God in our life? When if, if your life is going well, is that is that the is that where God is found? If you have blessing after blessing, if things are going great after great, is that where God is found? Or is God found uh, in the cross? And, and Jesus is suffering and dying for us. Is his love for you revealed to you when you are undergoing, uh, you have to deny yourself and deny what you want and, and instead take what God says you should want? Where, where is God found? Um, and if we are embracing this idea that God is only found when things are going well, that that's only where his blessing is found or only where his direction is found when things are going well. That's the theology of glory where everything is, we're ascending up to God, the, the way life gets better and better and better. And that's where God is found. We'll, we'll get there eventually as, as we live through our lives. Whereas the theology of the cross says we find God in the cross. We find God uh, where do we find the, the most intimate nature of God? And that is in the cross. When Thomas was talking to Jesus, show us the Father. We want to we want to see and experience this great thing that is God. And Jesus says, uh, he's standing right there here in front of you. Uh, here I am. Um, and guess what? I'm going to go to this cross thing. And you're going to really see the glory of God because his justice and his love will meet at the same place. You'll have both of them in their complete severity uh, with their 100% turned up all the way, his, his justice and his love without God holding back at all there in the cross. And at the same time, when a Christian is undergoing difficulties in their life where they are asked to deny their sinful flesh or deny what they want in and in return to what their neighbor needs or wants or what God needs or wants. That also is an expression of God's great presence in your life when you are um, overcoming the, your greatest monster, as we talked about scary monsters, which is yourself. Well, and, and I would just highlight there, you know, you, you, you talk about uh, the theology of the cross, and we always reference back to, okay, the ultimate suffering of the cross is, is Christ suffering hell for us there uh, on Good Friday. But, I mean, you could go to Philippians 4, and you see, you know, Paul saying, in his weakness, right, um, you see Christ's strength. You know, go to, to one of the greatest psalms that probably leads the, the life of people. Um, and, in fact, with, a, with funerals, they'll say, this is the greatest funeral psalm, when really it's the greatest living psalm. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, though I walk through the valley of pansies and roses. Um, you know, he's walking through a valley of something that's very hard and laborious. And, and it takes stress. Um, there are times in life when God when, when, when God will purposely bring suffering, allow it to happen so that all of the stuff that's in your life gets weeded out, that, that's, that's clogging the ways. Um, you, you really find that the things you need show up really well when all the things you thought you needed go away. And, and that's the theology of the cross, as opposed to the theology of glory. But the theology of glory is, is, is one that we want to gravitate to because we don't like suffering. We don't like hurt. Um, go we back. don't want to be vulnerable as well. We don't want yeah. people to know how weak we are. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would say the theology of glory was one of the very um, tricks being pulled out of the bag, you might say, that Satan pulled on Jesus, Right. He brought him up to the high hill um, and, and, and during his temptation after his baptism, and he, he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world, and he said, I will give you all of them. 
All you have to do is bow down and worship me, right? Isn't that the theology of glory? You don't have to suffer, Jesus. You don't have to suffer this hell thing for these these lowly people. I'll give you these people. You can have them without having to actually buy them. And, and all you have to do is, and it'll be good for you. You won't have to suffer. Everyone will be happy. And, and, and all you have to do is just worship me. Um, well, that's kind of this theology of glory. Worship self, right? Your comfort, your happiness. Um, and then the question, though, that, that rings through it all is when bad things then happen. The doubt. I guess I wasn't living good enough. Or... I guess I wasn't pleasing God enough, or I guess maybe I wasn't a Christian at all, uh, or Christian enough, because look at what happened. And that's not the case at all. That, that, that's not, those should never even enter into the mind. You, you brought up an interesting point. The, the modern manifestation of that theology of the cross, where you, somebody, some of you who are listening are saying, well, people really aren't trying to ascend up to God. They're not trying to get God's favor, um, because, in fact, they are God. They, they've made the distinction of what is right and good, um, and their decision is the right one, and their way of doing things is the right one. Do know, Live your truth. Uh, do what you want to do because you are, uh, you are the determination of your own fate, and that is taking the theology of glory to its um, ugly conclusion because that's essentially what it is. You're trying to reach up to a God that you're a made-up God, not the true God, and if you're um, making up a God, it ultimately is coming from within. Yeah, a God in my own image who only wants the best for me. Um, and the best for me is what I want since I made him. Um, and, 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 and instead, we have a God who does want the best for us, but what is best for us is not what I think I want. Yeah. Um, well, so that leads I, us. I, th- I think that leads us. I mean, not that we we can't talk. We we have whole entire sermons that are dedicated to a lot of these heresies at points throughout the year. Um, but moving on in into these heresies, as as we look at, so we've we've talked a little bit about the Judaizers, where where you have the ultimate focus on Jesus plus. We have the the theology of the cross uh, as opposed to the theology of glory. Theology of the cross is what scriptures teach us as as we deny ourselves and embrace the gifts of our Lord in service of others. Um, and theology of glory is the focus on self over and above others. Um, you then have have this idea that came up in the Christian church, and and really they're they're called by two different names, very slightly. Um, although the maybe their origins have a little bit of a difference, but we'll, we'll combine them together. Um, one is called Marconianism. The other one is antinomianism. Very, very similar ideas, although maybe some of the base background of, of how they began are different. And like you were saying, Marcionism was something that developed very early, like 110. So we're talking like, uh, 20 years after, no, uh, um, I was thinking 20 years after the new Testament was put together, uh, Marci- Twenty years after the death of John, yeah, death of John, and Marcion was uh, apparently he was the son of a bishop, a son of a pastor's kid, who they're uh, always the problem. <laughs> uh, I am a pastor's kid. Like I said, they're <laughs> always the problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he got it in his head that uh, Christianity was distinct from Judaism, distinct from the Old Testament. He didn't like the God of Judgment in the Old Testament. Uh, he even he didn't like even the God of Judgment in the New Testament. So he looked at the Bible and said, "This this anything that's in the Bible that has anything to do with a God of Judgment is out." So he took, um, of course, all of the Old Testament is out. Uh, only eleven books of the New Testament remained. Uh, only one gospel remained, Luke. And only 10 of Paul's epistles remained. Um, and just this whole idea that God is a God of love and a God of mercy, he wouldn't actually send anybody to hell. That sounds a lot like Aaron Rodgers from a couple of years ago. I can't believe a God who created this wonderful, beautiful world and beautiful creation, beautiful human being could send any of them to hell. It is a modern manifestation of an old, old heresy well isn't steve jobs um before he passed away i mean he actually steve jobs used to be a lutheran um i mean when he was alive and before he fell from that and became buddhist um but he was under that impression too how can a god who says he's loving allow bad things to happen right um bad things can't be a part of god 
Um, and I think that's the, 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 the core of the heresy when it comes to these two heresies is, is this idea uh, or, or this thought that God, if he created all things, must have created bad things. And it's a rejection of what sin is and how sin came into the world and how much it affects. And so they, they, they then combine this idea of God and sin together and they say, well, if sin exists, God must have created it. And how can a loving God have created it and allow it to happen? Must have been a lesser God. Must have been a lesser God or a split God or two gods or whatever. And you could go down that, that derivation, go to Eastern religion and you see the yin and the yang. You can't have one without the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you even have that from this, the, these, these two ideas, this um, entrance in that Satan is equal to because he's the counter of. And, and that's not scriptural. That, that's not what God says at all. God is good. Everything he created is very good. Sin was our disobedience. It was the, the, uh, the antinomian or the anti-law. See, in the beginning, God said, do this. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That'll be your worship of me. Uh, very garden is your worship, your opportunity to serve is to live in this creation that I gave you and to not do that. And what did we do? We broke the law. We threw out the law. That's that's what antinomian is. We threw out the law and did what we wanted to do. And that that broke the world. That that wasn't God's idea, wasn't God's plan, wasn't his his desire. It was our desire. Now, it's God's grace that he has allowed it to pro that he's allowed it to continue so that we may be saved in Christ. That's grace. That has nothing to do with God's desire. God does not desire evil things for you. God does not desire bad things for you. But will God use them? Yes. And, and so you have the Old Testament, right? You have the Old Testament, which is God using his people to bring judgment on others. You have God using other people to bring judgment on his own people so that their eyes would be opened and that they would come and see him and know him as Lord and Savior. Um, Today, we have the same thing happening. Yeah, we don't want, uh, I can't believe that God would send anybody to hell at the Aaron Rodgers example that I brought up, the Steve Jobs example. Uh, It's a classic case of uh, a conscience that doesn't want to be told it's wrong. So it must not be wrong. Laws must be bad. It must be must be those in power wanting to keep power. And so I shouldn't have anything telling any inhibit inhibitions, anything restricting me because it. The only people that restrict me are those who are are in power and are trying to to uh, oppress me. Yep. And, um, and I think here's the, the the the. And I was just thinking about it. Laws, law. So so laws have to be in place, and and it doesn't matter what society you're in. Laws are there. For the protection of people, they're for the protection of, of property, they're for the protection of society. Laws are there for guidance, right? But laws can only stand if there's a bite. There, and 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 I say that not because um, I'm I'm a huge toter of the law and legal system, but I'm saying that because laws are there because they are only effective if there's a consequence. And, and, and people who are against the law, against antinomian, they're against, the, they're not against the law. They're against the consequence. Yeah. Not that particular law, but against that consequence that they're feeling in their conscience. Right. That, that they're, they're, they're So they don't want the law because the law brings a consequence. If there is a law that says don't do, and I want to do it, that means there is a consequence for doing that. And I don't want to face that consequence. And so if I have a loving God who doesn't have a law, so then that God will just bring everyone in. Well, is that the kind of God you want? Is that the, is, is, is the kind of God, do you want the kind of God that it will accept anybody willy-nilly, whether they hurt or, or rob or steal or, or live a, a life of hurting other people? But don't worry, there's no hell for that person. There's no hell for a person who thinks only of themselves and not of anyone else. There's no consequence for that behavior. If that's the truth, then why aren't we all living that way? Isn't that the ultimate question? Why can't we all live that way? And everyone would say because that society would crumble. You know, what? how would we live? How would we do anything? And the, and the, rea- the reaction is, you're right. You can't live that way. We're seeing a, a modern take of that today with the um, the trans movement and being taken over by certain individuals that are grooming children um, for um, 
un, unspeakable acts. And it's all under the guise of freedom. You know, I'm free to do this way. There's nobody oppressing me now. There's nobody giving me any kind of consequence for this behavior. This You, sh- you should accept this behavior. So you have pictures and videos of, of drag queens dancing inside the libraries very provocatively in front of children who are three or four-year-olds. And this is espouses this is some sort of good thing, whereas children are seeing that seeing images that they should not see or seeing things that they should not be comfortable thinking about or or, or experiencing because they're not ready for, their bodies aren't ready for it. So so you know, and I'm I'm right there with you, and I'm not disagreeing with anything. But I've I've actually with the with things been going on, and as we were approaching this Bible class or study um, here, I'm I actually started thinking about. Um, I wonder if it's less the grooming for them to become like them and more of a grooming for the people who are doing it to receive righteousness. And and I and, and here's how I'm thinking about that is righteousness is a declaration of someone else saying you're right. right. You followed the rules. You you did what was required of you, right? And you're okay. And and I wonder if what we are facing in this world is is this let's throw out all the rules and let me reestablish my own rules and then have you tell me I have kept them and and I am right with them. I I would certainly agree with that point, but I still think there's a grooming of, of, of victims going on. I am not I'm not denying that. Yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering because I, I'm just looking at some of the I know we're a little off the rabbit trail here, but but you know I look at some of these people. It's who, my fault because I'm a pastor's kid. It's okay. It is. I, I brought it up. <laughs> but no, but I mean we have some of these like uh, kindergarten teachers who are saying these stuff, and they're like, I felt so validated when they res- when they responded back to me and said I was okay and I was, and I'm like. That's why you did it. You did it for the validation. And you're not receiving the validation from the Lord. You're not receiving the validation from uh, a society that used to have, even in a very remote way, uh, at least a substantial backing on what is good and, and, and what is not. And this is not just picking on one particular movement in society. I think if you're paying attention and are open to what we're saying, this is happening all the time. People are looking for validation from others. For It doesn't matter what it is. Something as, let's quote unquote, innocent as getting going out and getting drunk. So you post a video of yourself getting drunk and then everybody else is liking it or thumbs up or, or saying some sort of comment like this was awesome because you want to validate a behavior that has a consequence. Well, and this is this. I think this plays out really well. Um, coming back to the scriptures, the rich young man who comes up to the Lord, right, and he says, um, "What must I do? What more must I do?" Because um, he picked and chose and prodded his way through uh, all the laws and said, "I I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this." Um, now, did he do them all? No, because what one couldn't he do? Leave everything and follow. Um, he he couldn't give up everything in in the pursuit of his Lord. So the first table of the law unable to do um uh, even though he wanted to pick and choose which laws he could do and say look at those instead um we live this way all the time um even in the church we look at we look at the well i know i'm not perfect but look at what i did and and focus on that instead of focusing on i'm not the way god wants me to be and 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 there's there is something to be said about a a society and a people and a church and and its and its flock recognizing no matter how hard you try your best is not good enough you bring your best but realize it's not good enough and it's good to bring your best i'm not saying it's not but that is why you need christ because god says be perfect and you're not God says, do all, and you don't. God says, love your neighbor in all of the ways that he describes love, which is the second table of the law. And it is from the fourth commandment to the 10th commandment, um, and do them all perfectly, and you didn't. And then that's not even approaching the first table, the first three commandments of, of focusing on and loving your Lord above all things um, and, 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 and doing that correctly. And so, the law is is not to be thrown away. The law is not to be to be pushed aside and said, "Okay, we don't need this anymore." The law is is really fulfilled in Christ for us, and then given back to us to say, "Engage with it," right? Um, knowing that in Christ you're not condemned. Hell is not for you when you break it, but but now you are free to engage with it and forgiven when you break it. 
Um, by grace, we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Um, to do what with? To, to live according to how God would desire of us. Well, how do we know? Here's his law, right? Here's, here's 10 laws that he has said, do these things. And, and well, then you say, well, I fail. You're right. You do. And you're forgiven in Jesus, but that doesn't, that doesn't preclude attempting to bring your best. I, I kind of say this to my, my kids when we wake up in the morning and it's a it's church day, Sunday, um, and we, we get ready and they're like, can I wear sandals and, and can I wear shorts and can I wear this? And, can I, and, I, and I always try to tell them, can you wear all those things? Yes, right? You could do that, but don't you want to bring your best? Well, God, and then my son is old enough now, he'll say, well, God will accept me anyway. Yes, he will. In Christ, you're absolutely correct, but don't you want to bring your best? Because you can. What do you got? I was just going to, I have a couple of thoughts behind you. Um, just in the, in the terms of seeking after righteousness and seeking after validation from God, I was thinking of Colossians 1. Uh, verse 21, where it says, at one time you were alienated from God and hostile in your thinking as expressed through your evil deeds. You know, talking about the consequence of not keeping God's law. But now Christ reconciled you. Reconciled means brought you back, brought you over the chasm that sin has created between you and God, brought you back into God's family in his body of flesh through death in order to present you holy, blameless, and faultless before you. That's who you are through Christ, holy, blameless. Blameless has that idea of the total package, that you have everything that you need for life and to, to love your neighbor, uh, everything you need uh, to function in this society, whether it, it's uh, as parent or as child or as a, a employer or employee, as a member of this country, as a citizen of this country, blameless. You have that in Christ, and you are faultless uh, before him because you have Christ, not because of the things that you do. Um, and that's the validation that we have and we offer every Sunday is to remind us uh, that we are loved and we are blameless um, because of Christ. And we have a wonderful gift that's given to us. We have um, we don't have to worry, God, do you love me? God, uh, are you happy with me? God, are you proud of me for what I have done? For on Sunday morning, here, this is what we hear. We hear that we are holy and blameless and faultless before God because of Christ. What a, what a marvelous gift that's given to us every Sunday, a uh, marvelous gift that's given us personally when we, see, we receive the Lord's Supper as well, that this is who you are, uh, dear Christian. You are longing for acceptance. You are longing for um, validation. Here it is, not found in your keeping of the law, but in Christ keeping the law for you. Yeah, and that moves us in a little bit of a, a, a direction. Another one of the heresies that cropped up very, very early in the church uh, dealt with um, kind of what we're what we're talking about. That that wow, by nature, I don't know certain things, so I must have to have special knowledge over and above so that I can I can say you know I'm 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 more advanced and I'm well or, or more substantiated on this path of Christianity. Um, the, the technical term for this type of thought of a special knowledge of God that, that kind of puts us above and beyond everyone else is called Gnosticism. And, and this was one, um, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, and, and, and I can actually say read all of them because they're very short. That's not very specific. You haven't narrowed it down. Fine. 1st John <laughs> and 2nd John. 3rd <laughs> John's only like uh, 20 verses. So, and 3rd yeah. and <laughs> John. Just one page. It's, uh, well, you did three chapters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you if you go back and you you look at first, second, and third John, um, really John tackles this idea of of Gnosticism. It, it, it seems to have crept up into the church um, in, in the late part of the first century, um, where where there's this idea of running around that there is what the apostles say, there's what the scriptures say, and then there's this other knowledge that that you only can get. Sometimes by the spirit, sometimes through nature, sometimes uh, by looking in at yourself and that godly spark that that um, they would say you have that little part of God that is in some people. And if you learn to listen to it, you get this special knowledge that places you on a different level uh, than the normal Christian. 
very appealing. It very is very appealing because everybody has the Bible. I mean, the Bible just seems to be everywhere. It seems it's almost as if God wants everybody to be reading this Bible. It does seem that way, doesn't it? I have it? this secret knowledge. <laughs> I've got this. You know, you can read the Bible. That's fine. But boy, this secret knowledge that I'm about to give you this this final emanation from God is really going to set you over. I was going to say set you over the edge because that's kind of what I was thinking as I was seeing it. So I'm but, critiquing myself as I'm. But but speaking. you but you know this is something that happens in the church, and, and it, it it doesn't it doesn't happen as blatantly in calling it Gnosticism, but you've heard it and I've heard it. Like uh, people coming up to you and saying, "Pastor, can you pray for us because you're a little bit closer to God," or "I don't know what I'm what I'm reading. You need to explain it to me." Or I've read this book about some concept that is right. right, right. Or they knew something that wasn't in scripture. I haven't found it in scripture yet, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, as if now they have this secret knowledge of of what's going on. So you see it. You see it permeate itself. Um, this this idea of of there are certain people in the church or certain things that are outside of the church that give a, a just a, a little bit more insight and a little bit more clarity than what God has given to us and intended for us. Is is that from? I guess I can't read minds, but is that coming from a spirit of of not wanting to actually do the work of studying God's word where the spirit promises to be found and where people would much rather just, I, I want a quick quick answer or an easier answer, an answer that I can digest. I don't want to actually have to study all of the Bible or read a book of the Bible. You know, it's interesting that you, you asked that question because I think it's the opposite. Um, I think... And this is from my own personal experience. Um, when I started ministry and I started going through ministry and and started to focus that I wanted to be a teacher in 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 uh, the church, um, I would read the scriptures and and it was as if God was giving me all I could handle at that moment. And 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 throughout the scriptures, you know, where 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 um, um, Paul will talk about how. You know, we're running a race. We're building endurance. We're 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 gaining more, right? We're learning all the time, growing in the depth, and and it's in terms of growing. And as you read the scriptures, and you start out as a fledgling Christian, and you read the scriptures, and everything you need is there. God saves you in Christ. You know, He has done everything in Christ. Here's Jesus. Here's grace. Here's He's for you, and you you you're on cloud nine, and you're like, ah, Jesus, yes. But there's a reason why Paul says, don't let a fledgling Christian lead the church because they're on cloud nine going, Jesus, yes, yay, Jesus. And in a, in a, in a Christian who has grown in grace is like, yes, yay, Jesus, but look at the depth of Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at how he has done these things. Look at how, you know, how many times have we been in, in, in study together where we've opened up the scriptures and we're like, let's look at what God is saying to us. And, and wow, how many times have I read this? How many times have I preached this? And I'm coming around on it, you know, for the fourth time. And it's like, I didn't get it. And now it's like, whoa, how did it, it, it connects with, and it's not a special knowledge. The scriptures aren't giving you anything you haven't read already before, but it's the living word of God, and he reveals himself deeper and deeper and deeper for you. What Gnosticism did, and what it what it does today, is it doesn't remove the idea of study. It just took it away from God's word, as if God didn't have the final say. And I, and I think oh, that's what's appealing. I thought you were going to say that like a new Christian, it, the reason why they're not asked to leave the church is that they could easily tire from the gospel. And well, they can they too. Move, move on to something else because they, they want to have that same feeling of discovery. And and then they want to find, well, I you know, we've heard the gospel, but I want to have that same feeling. They get addicted to the feeling of discovery rather than um, being settled in the truth of God's word, which can produce fruits year after year but but i think i think time after time i mean i don't know i don't know about you but i've come out of studies where you and i have sat down and we've opened up the scriptures and we have gone through um um text studies and things and i've i've been on that cloud nine going this is a i did not know that that i read this before and i thought i knew it all and i didn't know at all um and so i mean the, the the idea of the refreshness of discovery in the scriptures is 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 always there because it is a living and active breathing book uh god's word for you for all time i i think the the problem that we run into 
especially with Gnosticism, is that it takes the focus off of the book, the scriptures, the uh, God's word for you, and says there's something else that God has in store, something deeper that you don't understand. Um, and I think you can see itself in the study of numerology within the scriptures, where all of a sudden we have to start taking all these other people's opinions about why does God have this number? Why does God have that number? Instead of just looking at it and saying, God used a number because he's trying to just say there's a lot. Or, or he, he, he uses it twice to double it up because he's trying to make emphasis. Or you know his natural tendency is um, that when he uses the word for, he's dealing with the created world, right? Because you had the four angels with the beasts and all these things. Or, or instead of looking at numerology and saying, well, if you take this number and you add this number and you divide it by that number and then you go over into another book completely different from what you were reading and then you do this, you're going to come out with the end of the world. And you have that special knowledge. Right. That's a, uh, very evident with the televangelists um, being able to forecast when Jesus is going to return. They hear Jesus say, nobody knows except for the Father. And they're like, oh, ex- and me, because I'm the Father. <laughs> I am a Father. I am a Father. <laughs> World, I am your Father. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a little bit lower, a little bit more breathy. <laughs> more breathy. Maybe you can do the sound effects on it. I'm not James. <laughs> Is that yeah. copyrighted? That noise. I don't. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the whole concept of a, a um, I could see what you're what you're trying to say. I would I would be thinking of. I was looking at it in terms of people not lazy, not actually wanting to actually read the scriptures. And you're saying that people are becoming bored with the scriptures or they want to move on from the scriptures. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the, um, the, the drug that is that happens when you discover something new and you want to learn something new and, and easily getting tired of the Bible and wanting to learn uh, something more. Uh, or, to, or you could have a little bit of that... Um, the Judaizer um, pietism, like I know something that you don't know. Well, and I think, and I think Gnosticism finds its way into the church <clears throat> in the sense of, um, because I, again, I don't think Gnostic, I don't think the Gnostics were were lazy. I think they were trying to find God in everything, and and some secret knowledge of God in everything. Trying um, to trying to blend the Greek yeah philosophies with Christianity. yes absolutely and so they were they were scouring everything to say here's god here he is there he is i know this this extra little thing here and, and i think it bleeds into our church when when we do that too when we say you know and and we've all had members that do this and maybe we have done it as well what are we we stood out there and we looked at the sunrise and we're like wow this tells me something about god right and then you start waning eloquent <laughs> about what you're observing um, or, or the people who have said, uh, I, I've had one person that has told me not in this congregation, so don't go try to hunt them down. But I had a, a person tell me, you know, I don't never felt closer to God than when I was mountain climbing and I saw the sun rise over the peaks. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you're never closer to God than when God gives himself to you in the ways that he has desired to reveal himself. <clears throat> that's when you're the closest to God. You're the furthest from God when you're you're out there looking at the sunrise and you're like, well, I guess something did this, but I know nothing about him. And and how Gnosticism, I think, has flipped that that understanding. And, and I think that's where you see it today in the church. So it's taken advantage of our intellect and our ability and our desire to learn that we want to be able to try to fit all the pieces that are not meant to be fit together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of things that don't fit, uh, origin is This is coming. a person who doesn't fit. <laughs> he doesn't One of these fit. people are not like the other. One of these people just doesn't belong. <laughs> uh, origin is, uh, he's like 165 AD or, or something like that. And his, his uh, brilliant, quote unquote, um, heresy is the fact that everyone really is going to happen. There's these different ages of mankind that the soul really is the important thing. And the soul is going to be um, reest- uh, um, being brought back. Even the devil's devil is going to somehow be saved. So just this idea of 
Everyone is getting to heaven. It's it's an open bar. Everybody's getting in. The bar is set so low. Even the devil himself gets in so, eventually. So can I re? I actually looked at because I'm like, okay, this isn't necessarily an ism as much as it's a person. <laughs> and and so I looked them up and 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 you know the this heresy. Um, his his belief goes a little bit deeper than that. He believes in in this preexistence of the soul, um, so that the soul has always been. And and this was, and I I had to quote it. This is what he believed. He believed that the souls fell varying distances, some to become angels, some to descend into human bodies, and some wishing to become devils. I I I I, I highlighted that because I'm like. Wow, there's a reason why the church said no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. no. <laughs> uh, and it's not that, and I, I really like this train of thought that we've been thinking of, is we're looking at all these heresies, and it's not that these people were idiots or they didn't, they didn't know it, just rather it is the opposite. They were just trying to figure out some things that God has not revealed. Uh, what is it? What is this thing about the soul? What is that? And and to explore some really crazy ideas as to w- the origin of the soul and the end result of the soul that it's all eventually going to get back put back in the same pot again. Uh, what? Um, how does that come up today? I to me it comes up when everyone just wishes everybody to go to heaven. Like we're all going there. Well, not only that, I think it comes up in the in in the belief, well, um and you've heard it and we've we've tried to disavow it uh, and and teach against it, but they're like um you know, they're an angel now. They've got their wings. That that's this idea, right? Um that that the idea that you see today is and we've said it when people pass away, well, now they're up in heaven looking down and they've got their wings, they're just like the angels. And we try to use some scripture to 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 defend that, which you can't. Um, but it comes, I think, from this idea of origin where we're all kind of in the same mush and and we just we're floating between these two levels. Um it almost could be reminiscent of Hinduism in many ways and the idea of reincarnation that there is this soul that continues to to reside and then it comes back if you did worse you, you fall and you're you're now a worse that, thing yeah that's buddhism is that and that buddhism yeah so but, i thought hindi also believed in that oh yeah that's right uh with uh you can, if you're if you have bad karma then you'll right. come back as an insect and right i didn't mention karma though but you're right it is a it's very karmic yes so and I wasn't necessarily thinking of the, you know, all of spiritual beings are all one from one big pool of goo some, or spiritual goo somewhere. But I was thinking it more in terms of people just saying, not being uncomfortable with the idea that you are actually going to be accountable to someone or that there is going to be a judgment. I should probably say that better. Accountable isn't quite the right word because that leads us down the path of uh, you got to, you, Jesus saved you, but you have to also do this. Um, but the idea of standing before a judgment, uh, before a judge, after we die, everyone wants to take Jesus's spot on the bench and say, I, I, I know how this person, how I know how this ends, uh, because I love that individual because that person was a part in my life. Therefore they're in a better place now. Right. Um, and right. it doesn't matter whether they were in church, whether, and I'm not saying the church is the reason why people go to heaven. I'm just saying. It's what's provided in church. Yeah, what's provided in church, uh, receiving the gifts of God in word and sacrament. So uh, origin is uh, an old rehashed idea of this idea of the soul being from uh, all spiritual beings from the same goo and also the fact that we're all going to the same place. But I, I think the other part of this, and, and, and this is maybe a final comment before we move on to, to our last one, which is going to take up a little bit of time here as, as we finish talking. But but the idea of, again, it comes back down to the same problem with antinomianism, where you remove the bite. Origin removes the bite. What is heaven like if there is if, if everybody goes there, even the very worst of us? You know, what is that like? Um, and, and so, you, you know, if you're removing the bite... Um, then what is what is the good, uh, and why is it good? Um, and so that that's that's something. I think the last one, and 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 maybe we're going to get kicked off can because we're going against a, a major force here, but that's all right. Um, what I've, major force? We're we're going against the major force of the Catholic Church oh, in this yeah. <laughs> one. Um, so the second, the, the the very last heresy is Pelagianism, and I would add to this because this is built into the Catholic Church, semi 
Pelagianism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would say this is uh, this is one that we see today and can point to and say there is no difference. It's it is what it is. It is, and it's named it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pelagius, uh, what three fifty five to four twenty. So he's a little bit later than the other uh, heresies that we mentioned. But the pa- basic concept is God can't command the impossible. Yeah. Um, in other words, if you don't, if you're wondering what that means, um, it, he, Pelagian believed in the ultimate free will. Um, we have the right to decide because God cannot, uh, for Him to be God, He cannot demand you do something outside of what you are capable of doing yourself, and therefore you you have to be able to do it. So if if God demands belief. Um, he would say, then you must be able to force yourself to believe. Uh, if God demands perfection, you must be able to work your way and do perfection. Um, God cannot demand something that you cannot perform. Now, I would say, and, and this is, this is uh, my, my counter to that, is um, that's not true. Um, and, and you would say, well, what's my defense? Well, here's my defense. Uh, many times in life, you are demanded uh, to do something that you can't do. Um, so you rack up a huge amount of money on your credit card, and at the end of the month, they give you a bill, and that bill says you have to pay. And you look at that bill, and you're like, I can't pay that because I still don't have the money. That's why I used my credit card. Well, then your defense isn't, well, they can't demand something of me that I can't perform. That's just stupid. Um, no, they can because you racked up the bill. So when God says be perfect, since he's the one holding all the cards, he can say be perfect. And whether you can or not, doesn't matter. Yeah, Romans 3, 23, all have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Um, so he has every right as the creator to demand whatever he wants. Now, we could, in, 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 in juxtaposition, of Pelagian, you have Augustine, right? Um, or Augustine, if you would like to call him that. Um, and, and what does he say? What is he, because he, he confronts some of this idea of, of Pelagian um, and his idea of you can't do, God can't demand uh, you do something that you can't perform. Um, and what, what Augustine would then follow up and say, no, God demands and then gives you what he demands. So when God says, uh, believe, he gives you belief through the working of the Holy Spirit in his word. When God says, be perfect, he gives you perfection through his son, Jesus Christ. When God demands, he provides what he demands so that you can live. Um, and so that that would be the counter to the Pelagian argument. Which is the Lutheran counter to the Roman Catholic argument. And it, it is so strong and pervasive today that people think that there is something within them that is good with outside of Christ. That there's there's a, a divine spark within them that they have that is able to choose or recognize what is good and and go in that direction, and uh, Romans three tells us we've all fallen short. We've all uh, have sinned. There's no way that we can pick um, what is good or gravitate toward what is good. That is why God, as you were saying, and through the Holy Spirit working through the gospel creates faith and that faith says oh this is a good thing oh I, you know I, this is this christ who died for me awesome uh, and receives that uh what is given to us so you know just uh just as a um just to let you know how how much this idea of plagianism and and i would even say well okay so so just taking a step back, semi-Pelagianism is what the Catholic Church believes. The Catholic Church actually condemned Pelagius as a heretic. Um, so the, the the Roman Catholic Church looked at him and said, yeah, no, this free will thing, uh, we're complete and utter free will where, where God can't demand anything that you yourself can't do. That's wrong. Um, but then the church, the Catholic Church embraced semi-Pelagianism where God in the beginning when he created people when they were born, he has this little itsy bitsy spark of good stuff that allows you to make choices towards something better. Um, so that's a conversation probably for another complete day. But but the idea of complete and utter Pelagius belief, I think, is reflected in something that um, that, that we just had overturned. Um, and that was uh, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy in 1992 versus uh, in the, the court case, Case Casey versus Planned Parenthood, he wrote on his brief something that is extremely Pelagius. And here's what he had written. He said, at the heart of liberty 
is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Now we've just overturned that. We're semi-Pelagius now in our nation. (laughs) And just to clarify, it's not when you said the Roman Catholic Church believes it would be more the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Yes, sorry. So we're not making carte blanche judgments on the faith of those who belong to the Roman Catholic Church. We're just saying the church that you, if you are Roman Catholic and you say, I don't believe that, what you guys are talking about? I, I've never heard that in, before in my life, and, we're, and for that we rejoice because we would say you are part of the invisible uh, church, which holds on to Christ and Christ alone for its salvation. The church that you belong to uh, is teaching this, semi, yeah. teaching this, and even this whole concept of Pelagianism is found amongst our own people because it is a rehashed and and it it's a very desirable teaching to say. Uh, God is waiting for me to respond. Uh, the floodgates of heaven are stopped, and I have the lever. If only I would do this, or if only I would do that, then God will pull the lever, and all of these blessings will be mine. Whether that is coming to faith, or you, you have to choose. Even Lutherans might say that, uh, unfortunately, where you, I, God gives all these, offers all these gifts, but it's up to you um, um, to, to reach out and grab them. Right. And and I think this, it, it, it really, when it boils all down, when it boils all down, it, it really boils down to, to something very fundamental. And that is, if you are a Pelagian or even a semi-Pelagius believer, someone who believes that your, your will has some say in where your eternal destiny will be, what it is, is you have now placed yourself as in a hierarchy over others. I did this, why couldn't you do this? Intrinsically, whether you're going to vocalize that or not, that's what's going to happen. I'm better than you because I made this choice. And so if you just make this choice, then you're going to be like me. It becomes focused on you. It, 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 it's, it once again becomes focused on you. Um, it's also, as we would say in the church, uh, it views, it has a very high anthropology. In other words, it views uh, people as better than what they are. And, and that is not how the scriptures share with us what we are. We are, um, all of us, filthy rags, right? All of the righteousness that we have tried to do is filthy and, and nothing. We are all sinners. Um, we are all dead in our trespasses and our, our transgressions. And so what do we need? We need someone who circumvents that and covers that and, and builds us up and brings us back to life because we are dead. And we're all the same. So it's not a matter of I made a choice that you could make. And if you would make that choice, you could be as good as me. It is I am in the same boat as you are and we're all sinking. Um, and Jesus chooses me. And Jesus calls you, Right. And 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 through Jesus, we have a righteousness that's apart from the law, as Romans three says. Absolutely, outside of it. Absolutely, a righteousness that's yours uh, through what Christ has done. Now, why did we talk about heresies today? I think it's important that we talk about heresies just to remind us that uh, these, uh, the devil is a, a recycler. He's the ultimate recycler. He's going to rehash. Um, things that have worked in the past because they are, lead us away from Christ. It, uh, human beings haven't not changed all that much. That's a really hard truth to accept. We are uh, human beings that naturally gravitate away from Christ and toward ourselves. And so the devil is continuing to use these heresies. And as we uh, have studied and looked at them today, it's an encouragement for you to uh, go to a place that that gives you Christ, which is the righteousness you need and the confidence that you need that you'll be in heaven. He, he is the assurance that you need when your when your sins are down, when you are struggling with life. He is um, the bread of life that you need that that will fill you up and give you what uh, you need in Christ. That assurance and um, confidence that your God loves you and cares for you. So it's about Jesus. 